Thanks for tuning in to Voices in DevOps. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out John's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com, where he covers all things DevOps, data, and strategy, addressing many of the topics covered in Voices in DevOps. Hello and welcome to this episode of Voices in DevOps, where I'm here to speak to Andy Mann, uh, who I've known for many years and who is now a Chief Technology Advocate. Have I got that right, Andy? That's right, John. How are you doing? uh, Fantastic. It's good to speak to you too. Uh, All about uh, DevOps, as always, but equally all about more ops dev, if I can call it that, the the operational side of things and... uh, and because I, I always think that that's the kind of the, the poor nephew of, of the whole DevOps piece. So so before we get into that, though, Andy, why don't you just say a few words about yourself and, and how on earth you kind of ended up being a chief technology advocate at Splunk? Absolutely. So uh, a, a vast and varied career across multiple continents. You can probably tell from my accent. Um, I'm in the States now, but it started in Australia in IT ops, banks, insurance companies. Spent some time in the UK with companies like the Peru. Um, NatWest and others eventually ended up in a in a vendor role in pre-sales guys I think I asked too many hard questions uh, of my vendors and in the end uh, have come up through you know automation especially cloud computing uh, in the office of the CTO at some large vendors uh, and now at Splunk as a chief technology advocate I advocate for my customers so product changes, uh, features, and new new market opportunities, but I also advocate for Splunk. So just explaining what we do in the world and why it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So advocating technology, which is which is never a, a bad thing. So specifically at the, the operational side of things, you've got a huge operational background and now you're working in an area where, I mean, I mean Splunk does a lot of things, but it engages a lot with the, the DevOps community and, and DevOps situations and so on and so forth. What's your take on the whole thing for, from an operational perspective? I mean, is it just kind of made up stuff that's, uh, it's actually all about, as, as I like to say, DevOps? Uh, or, or, is there, or is there more to it? Or is there more to it than that? It's not just a kind of made-up thing for developers. Yeah, no, the big dev, little ops. I, I'm totally with you. Um, and DevOps is not a made-up thing. There's real results. I've done personal research. You know, the state of DevOps report that I've done with Puppet Labs a couple of of times um, shows that there's real results. You get better revenues. You you get delivery faster of new applications and services. You actually use Teams more efficiently. Um, there's a lot of really significant measurable outcomes from DevOps, but what I see increasingly in the zeitgeist in the community is exactly what you're saying, big dev, little ops. I can't tell you how many times I've been to conferences and people talk about the, the DevOps life cycle and it stops at release. I mean, ops is right there in the word DevOps, and yet increasingly we see so much focus on the development life cycle. That's not a bad thing, but there's a lot that operations do and there's a lot of modernization that operations needs to go through to uh, to work in a DevOps mode. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to visit DevOps from an ops perspective and get a lot of, of, of value, of innovation, of creativity, of efficiency out of that side of that DevOps equation. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to um, name and shame here, um, but uh, there is a school of thought, let me put it this way, that uh, we don't need ops at all, um, which uh, is, is is kind of an interesting perspective. And I kind of I see where it comes from, because ultimately, 
you don't, you know, automation should be the name of the game. Uh, you don't want to build things that then require massive overhead in terms of their management, et cetera, et cetera. But are there places that uh, essentially that automation can't go currently or, or going to be forever? You know, wh wh why do we still need operations? I guess, I guess is the question. Yeah, I, I hear this talk about no ops, um, and and I've actually been uh, quite outspoken against the concept of no ops for a long, long time. Even even your 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 born in the cloud, your cloud native kind of companies uh, ultimately still need operations for a lot of things. Not least because of performance and availability is going to crush your business if you don't get it right. Uh, just because you go to the cloud doesn't mean someone else is doing operations for you. They're doing infrastructure for you, maybe. Even when you go to a SaaS provider, you know, you think about a Salesforce or a NetSuite or something like that, and you've still got operational aspects in terms of because your customers will always blame you. They will never blame the providers that you use. You know, if I get a late delivery from someone, I'm not blaming FedEx. I'm blaming the company that didn't put it into FedEx in time. And so operational requirements, you know, from an on-premises perspective, and traditional enterprises are still doing this to a large degree, you've got a lot of efficiency. Uh, you've got the standard operational stuff, performance, availability, response to problems, all this sort of level one type stuff. But then you start to look at the rise of uh, what I'm calling new ops. You know, this is Ooh, the, uh, like that. the antidote for no ops. Right? Um, in the new ops world, it's not that you do the same things, but you do apply that automation, right? You're the people that work the automation tool so that developers can get that test server they need in seconds, not hours. Mm -hmm. You're the people that make sure when you deploy a new application to production, you've done the scalability and load testing in, in stage or in test to make sure that application is going to run properly. And you're monitoring. You're monitoring it in different ways, though, in new ops, you're using things like metrics and traces. You're not just using that infrastructure, you know, server response time, CPU utilization. You're actually getting into customer information as well. As an IT operations professional in a new ops mode, you're looking at customer experience, customer response time. You're looking at payload information out of your network, things like revenue per minute, uh, sales of particular items. These are your early warnings for whether your system is starting to fail. If you normally sell a thousand of a particular t-shirt every minute, and then this minute you only sell three, that's a problem, but it's not necessarily an infrastructure problem. So new ops looks at the new infrastructure, um, containers, cloud, serverless, APIs, all this sort of stuff. In a lot of cases, also looking at traditional on-premises infrastructure. So CPUs and storage are still relevant, but mm. they're also bringing in other aspects. They're looking at data and they're making decisions based on data. And that data includes business goals and customer engagement, amongst other things. This is a very different world from the traditional sysadmin. So I, I feel that... Um, uh and I'm just trying to remember back through our conversations before we set this up. You, I've never heard the term new ops before, which probably means I've not read your blogs. And I feel really bad about that because it's clearly something you know a lot about. Uh, and uh, so the reason I'm saying that is for the audience. This wasn't set up to be a thing about new ops, but I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by it. And I think it's, it's a really, really good way of thinking about a more, can I put it this way? Uh, more proactive operations because in my experience a lot of uh, operational stuff uh, is 
oh my goodness, what the heck have they thrown at us this time? Um, and uh, instead, it's uh, this is what we bring to the party. We've got all the things that you might need as as a proactive provider, and uh, this is how you can benefit from them. So it's it, it's 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 a much more sort of empowered operational position. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's and don't get me wrong, NewOps does not replace DevOps, right? It's an extension. It's a more specific and thoughtful approach to IT operations that's part of that larger modern operational context. So it does incorporate aspects of agile, it does incorporate aspects of DevOps. But like you say, it is a more thoughtful way of looking at modern IT operations. And I just want to give a quick shout out to Jane Grohl, who is the CEO of the DevOps Institute, who actually helped coin this term. And we're doing a bunch of uh, events at the moment, the New Ops Days events. I feel, I feel even worse now. You, you got whole days and I didn't know about them. <laughs> it's, okay. it's all nascent stuff, mate. Um, it's all just started. And the, the theory is that we want to help our people in IT ops get up to this new level of skill and feel like they're really contributing in the world. And it's a very powerful concept to be able to train people and help people understand what it means to move from monitoring feeds and speeds, you know, the, the CPU time, the response time, the CPU utilization, storage availability, IOPS, these sorts of things, and moving from there to monitoring and managing customer services, mm -hmm. the application, that how is the data getting there? It could be on a split, a multi-cloud application, part of it in AWS, part of it in GCP, part of it on-premises. And this is a whole new world. So new ops very much keys off the concepts of DevOps, agility, collaboration, integration, you're upskilling, abstracting the mundane and routine and automating that which can be automated so that you free up the humans to make the leaps of faith that they can make, you know, whether it's on an innovation aspect, so, oh, I think this, this application could do this, or whether it's on a troubleshooting problem. Oh, I think the problem is probably this, let's go take a look. It frees up people to be creative and innovative in all sorts of different ways. And I think that's a very powerful thing for people in the ops industry to, to latch onto. It, it, it's quite a. Um, I use the term empowering once, so I'm not going to use it again. Um, uh, what I will, what I was going to say was, it's quite a refreshing um, starting point. Uh, and when, in my experience, when I've worked with you know with real companies solving real problems, as believe it or not, I have done in the past. Um, it's uh, the uh, it never worked. That's why I became an analyst. But uh, that's, <laughs> that's another story. Um, but uh, the um, when you say. Is it what the customer wants? And then you find uh, a real customer um, and work through from there. I, I'm going to actually throw in an example. So I did I did uh, some training for a company called uh, BioRad that was a microscope company. Oh, this takes me back. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, I did the whole kind of uh, uh, component-based development training, agile this and DSDM that and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And I said, what you want to do is you want to get a customer in the room and interview them and find out what they actually want as opposed to what you think they want. And one of the guys on the training course was the, the project manager. And he said, that's great. We've got a customer. We've got someone in marketing that used to be one of our users. Why don't we just get them in? And I was thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> I hope I was right. <laughs> yeah, and suddenly that moment where they – and so literally that afternoon we, 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 we interviewed the customer. And um, uh, with me, with sweat streaming down my back and, and, and so on. And uh, what they said was absolutely profound because this was a, 
electron microscope company. We were trying to build a, a Windows front end onto the, I know, bear with it, uh, on, onto, onto their electronics. And uh, what she said was, you guys have got the interface so completely wrong because this is how uh, we use your microscopes. The first thing we do is we've got a tiny, tiny window because these things are so expensive and we've got to take the best possible looking picture of whatever it is we're trying to uh, get. Um, and the reason we need that is to put into our funding application. Once we have that, if we get successful funding, then we can use the microscope as long as we like. And then we want to open the whole wardrobe of bells and whistles and all that sort of thing. But can you just give us the easiest route to getting a really good photo for our funding? And these developers, you know, there were 10 of them on the course or so. And uh, it just completely changed their world. It was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, look, when you can connect closely with your customer, um, you'll be surprised what you learn. I mean, there's the old Henry Ford thing as well. You've got to be careful that uh, it's apocryphal. There's no actual sourcing for this, but Henry Ford supposedly said that if, I, if I'd if i asked my customers what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. Um, so you do have to be careful about preconceived notions and 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 bias, you know, reinforcing customers' bias and stuff. You also, as a, as a person, as a someone who's close to the customer, you get the opportunity to interpret what will make their life easier and take it an extra step when they say, I want a faster horse. It's like, no, no, no. What outcomes do you want to achieve? And then you can start to think, well, that outcome is probably better uh, suited to a car than a faster horse. Mm. So you can come up with your own stuff. But you're absolutely right. Connecting with customers. And this is something that operations have traditionally not done at all although they've always been the group at the company who's been closest to customers outside of perhaps you know, front office staff. Um, but IT operations is the nexus of pretty much everything in a modern organization where every business is a technology business. So to be able to have that really close engagement with customers and to see them on an individualized basis, so I can look at you know, metrics out of all sorts of different systems, front ends, web servers, APM systems and others to see what's happening at an, even at an individualized basis. But when I can start to aggregate and look at metrics, his, you know, histograms around service quality, um, I can look at what well, this release caused or at least correlated closely with a downturn in my business revenue from this website, for example then you start to get the ability to really make those data-driven decisions about what customers actually want. And it's probably going to be a, a combination of what they say they want and what you interpret that they need. But that's you know, so much better than sitting in that blank room as your, your developers previously did and going, I think uh, my customers might want this. Mm. I'm going to presume they're thinking about it, you know? And uh, that's, uh, funnily enough, uh, is it's the kind of stuff that I did. I've got a theory, which is that uh, a, a lot of what we're talking about, you know, I, I said before before we started that there's there's a world of people in the kind of cloud native, digital native world that kind of get this stuff. And then there's a whole bunch of people in enterprises that are kind of... Uh, they don't recognize the language. Uh, it's not enterprisey. It's not thought of everything they need to think of, all that sort of thing. Uh, I've got a theory, though, in the middle of all of that, which is that there are some really strong enterprise-type hooks that we that we can hook into. So one of my theories, uh, as an aside, we can come back to it, but it's the relationship between microservices and, and software modularity, which is a very enterprisey thing. Mm. The hook I'm thinking about here is the relationship between 
what what you're saying and and these these back back in the day we i mean uh, i when it went from it service management which was all about uh kind of post ITIL CMDB kind of stuff. And then people started saying, well, business service management, we need to think about you know, uh, measuring the business value. We need to think about, as you say, the number of shirts that are being sold or the number of bank accounts that are being opened or or, or whatever it is. So so we're kind of going back around that boy a little bit, but we're doing it with uh, a lot. Of, there's a, I, I'm not trying to say it's, it's all reinventing the wheel. There's a whole bunch of new stuff that we're dealing with now. We've got the cloud. We've got uh, um, uh, massively scalable systems that, that we, can, we can do now. But then it still does come back to the, some of those BSM principles. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? And it's it's very glib and easy to say that you know mainframe was cloud earlier on, and and, and SOA, uh, you know, service oriented architectures were serverless computing and API driven. You know, they weren't. They were, but they weren't. History has moved on a lot. Uh, but what we certainly find is that when we look at these new architectures, there are these new ways of operating. Right, you've got to understand cloud computing. You've got to do those things differently. Um, and new ops is about doing new things, but not necessarily throwing away those IT service management, ITIL, BSM kind of disciplines. Yeah, I don't think ITSM, ITIL, BSM, I think the processes we looked at there are fundamentally broken by things like cloud computing, serverless architectures, microservices. Mm-hmm. But the disciplines are important. Be secure, have governance, own control, don't let things get out of control, have backups. You know, these these are principles. Understand where things are deployed. You talked about the CMDB. I don't want a static CMDB. As soon as I I deploy a container or blow up a microservices, it's out of date. But I still need to know what services are running where and why. Maybe CMDB is not the right word for it, but the discipline of asset management the discipline of service management, of release management, um, even things like problem and incident management, certain aspects of the discipline in these ITSM, ITIL categories still matters, but we just can't do it the same way because the infrastructure, the applications, the customer engagement models are all just fundamentally different. Yeah, it's interesting. it's interesting picking up on the CMDB point for the simple reason that I remember reading the the original ITIL books, the original library of books, uh, and that's how old and sad I am. Um, but they didn't mention a CMDB. Uh, they they were just a bunch of geezers uh, who had uh, worked out what worked for them in 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 big enterprise shops and kind of shared shared that information. And it was only it was the industry that picked it up and said, "Oh, well, you need a database," as the industry would. Um, <laughs> And is it maybe shouldn't go back to, as you say, those kind of structures that clearly wouldn't work in this uh, massively um, uh, orchestratable uh, setup that we have now. But maybe go back to to what those guys and girls were thinking about back then, uh, in 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 terms of best practice. So just um, uh, conscious of time, when you speak to uh, your enterprise type customers. Uh, what do you think? Um, I mean, to me, as an enterprisey kind of person, it, it kind of what you're saying makes sense philosophically. What do you think, uh, and, and what kinds of conversations are you having on the ground in terms of making this stuff happen? 
Yeah, look, there, there is incredible skepticism from buzzwords from the enterprise uh, communities. You know, we've we've suffered buzzwords for years and years and years. So we take time to wait and see if they're real. So when it comes to DevOps, there is still skepticism in the enterprise. But I would firstly encourage those skeptics to look at real research. Now, there's lots of vendor-delivered research which may or may not have bias. And, and John, I'll, I'll point to your stuff, for example. You know, definitely unbiased, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In independent research which validates the concept, right? Understand what you can get out of it. And then start to look at non-threatening ways to implement some of the processes and activities around DevOps. So what I mean there, think about automation, right? Automate a task, an individual task. Just take a little bit of, of what a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, Damon Edwards, calls toil. You know, just that routine, mundane work that no one really wants to do but is essential. And it could be things like managing configurations, you know, managing your golden images. It could be something to do with managing and automating the, the deployment of software into production. And I always like to look at the boundary between development and operations. And if you do nothing else, sit down for lunch once a week with teams that are mixed. You know, it's If DevOps is anything, it's about communication and collaboration and integration between teams, not software. So get your teams to talk together. If nothing else, bring ops into a planning meeting so that they can understand what's coming down the, the road for them. And they can start to provide feedback and close that feedback loop to, 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 to developers to say, here are some things that you need to consider when you're delivering this new piece of software. Having the conversation is the real good start. When it comes to technology, look at automation tooling around that boundary area, provisioning, configuration, release management especially. Um, you don't have to change the world, but maybe think about setting up a Tiger team from a couple of devs, a couple of ops. This is an anti-pattern, the DevOps team, but it does for a large enterprise. If you put it on an individual project, maybe a new mobile application, something like that, gives you an opportunity to learn and practice this and see if it's going to work for you. You know, there are easy ways, and this is what I see with my large enterprise customers is, Easy ways to get into this DevOps mode without destroying everything you've built up before. And I think that's a great way to get learning, get experience, get confidence, prove results, and then move forward if it's working for you. It's uh, the, the the flip side of don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's don't drown the baby. <laughs> exactly right. I, I think yeah, enterprises do a lot of things fantastically well because that's what they're designed to do. Uh, but because they've been doing it for so long, it, it means that they they kind of got the burdens of of all that stuff. So it's, it's not about stopping being an enterprise. And I think that's what we're seeing with smaller companies that think, why do they do all that boring governancey stuff? Uh, yeah. That's because they have to. You know, you will have to soon when you grow. Up. <laughs> yes, once you once you list at some point. Um, uh, uh, non-GAAP is not acceptable anymore, right? So at some point, you've got to follow the full accounting principles. You've got to follow audit controls. You've got to follow regulation, compliance, all sorts of stuff. At some point, stuff. you can't move fast and break things anymore. So going to wrap this up very quickly. If if I had to ask you uh, what's, the, what's the one thing that you would advise any enterprise organization as a starting point for a better way of life uh, in, in terms of the whole DevOps, no ops, new ops, um, forget no ops uh, world, what, what would it be? 
Honestly, if it was one thing, it would be a pizza party. Get your teams together in a social or semi-social setting just so they realize that the other side are human beings like they are. Break down the wall. That is the most important thing to start with in DevOps. That's that's fabulous. Thank you very much. And uh, I think that, interestingly, I, I, I might have written about this, uh, but beer and pizza are definitely signs of uh, a, a well-functioning organization and soft drinks, if that's what takes your fancy, of course. Uh, so <laughs> on, on, on that note, uh, Andy, always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, look forward to, uh, to meeting you again in person in the not-too-distant future. And, and thank you very much for joining. Oh, thank you for having me, John. Really appreciate it. Great to talk to you, mate. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in DevOps, please check out the other ones. Scaling DevOps for the Enterprise is the focus of a recent report John wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how digital transformation is evolving, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on IT operations and business strategies.